Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day when you may join in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's, or actually, it's an early episode of uh, of our Truth Tidbits, and this is uh, for the next episode, and it is Truth Tidbits, episode 113. And we are continuing to read through the scriptures in different places. I happen to be currently in the book of 1 John, and so I'm doing some of my messages from there. And I do want to continue that in this message today. And I want to talk about this topic, John's fatherly heart. And I want us to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 12 through 14. Well, I'm going to read those, and then I want to come back and just make a few comments and look at a couple of other places of Scripture as well. John is writing this epistle, and he says in verse 12 of chapter 2, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. I want to just discuss this a little bit in light of the fact that here we see clearly John has a fatherly heart for the church. Let's go back and let's understand why he considers the church and those that he's writing to and ministering to as spiritual children. John is, in this case, this is probably written in the late 80s or possibly 90 or early 90s AD. John is probably the very last apostle at this time to be living. He is the one, the only one that's going to die a natural death and not have been actually martyred, although tradition does indicate that he may have been attempted to be martyred. John has seen the growth of the church. He's also seen the growth of false teachings and false doctrines, uh, Judaizing, um, agnosticism, agnosticism, etc., that's trying to threaten the church. And he has been there from the beginning. He was one of the very first disciples that Jesus ever called. He was the only disciple listed in the scripture as being present at the cross of Jesus Christ. He has been with him through thick and thin. He has been there even after the resurrection. He was a part of the church in the book of Acts. He was very highly used by God. He and Peter were used many times as a um, a pair, a partnership to accomplish many miracles and to testify of the Lord. He had been imprisoned for the Lord Tradition indicates he may have even been attempted to be boiled in oil. I don't know if that's true or not, but there is reports of that. He has been exiled to the Isle of Patmos, uh, possibly at this time of this writing, perhaps even there. 
So John is testifying of many things, and he's been there since the beginning of the church. He's not just a leader. He is a, a strong leader. He is, in essence, one of the fathers of the church. In the Old Testament, they still, the Jewish people will still call the fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob because they were the foundation. They were the patriarchs from which the nation of Israel began. And so you'll see many times in the Old Testament, God referred to as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it's a similar kind of idea here. John is one of those that is the foundation. He is one of those patriarchs, so to speak, of the church of Jesus Christ. He's one of the ones that heard Jesus say on this rock, I will build my church. And so John has been there the whole time. So he, in this passage, is referring to himself in a sense as if he is kind of a spiritual father of the church. And he is calling them, in essence, spiritual children. I want you to see a few things that this concurs, not just for the Apostle Paul, I mean the Apostle John, but also with two other apostles and the Lord Jesus himself. In the book of John, chapter 10, I want to look at that next. Give me just a second to turn over to that. In John chapter 10, in verse 11 through 16, I, I want to read this. In John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus is speaking and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he is a hireling and does not care about the sheep. Now Jesus is speaking. He says, I am the good shepherd and I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice, and there will be one flock and one shepherd. So John is one of those that was in attendance, heard Jesus say that, knew the heart of Jesus for his sheep, for his flock. And so John recognizes now that he is in he he's in the place of Jesus so to speak in the sense that he is an under shepherd serving under the chief shepherd and John has a similar heart to the heart of Jesus for all of the sheep and we see it in John's writings he also concurs with the apostle Paul We've read this in an earlier message, so I'm not going to read this, but I do want to refer to it. In Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38, you read about Paul's final uh, appearance and fellowship time with the leaders of the church of Ephesus, which also John became a part of and a bishop and an overseer of. And when Paul is leaving the Ephesians church and he knows he's not going to see them again, 
he declares to them his final heart for them. He shares with them his desires. He shares with them how he has served among them, what he has done, what he has tried to do, uh, what his heart desire is for the future for them. The warning about the the, uh, wolves coming in to the flock and how they need to care for the flock and all of that. And so you can read that in Acts chapter 20, verse 17 through 38. You hear Paul's heart. You also, when you read Second Timothy, the last book that Paul wrote that we have record of, and you hear his heart for Timothy and how he is trying to train up his spiritual son in the faith, he calls him. Then he concurs, John concurs with Peter here, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, where Peter instructs those who are to be shepherds serving under the chief shepherd and how they are to love the flock and care for the flock as if they were fathers to those flock. So we see that pattern here. And a true pastor, a true shepherd, the heart of that person is going to love the people, the sheep of the pasture that he is called to flock, to to lead, the flock that God has given him in the local fellowship. It's interesting because if you look at Psalm 100 verses 1 and 2, you will read where the Bible tells us we are the sheep of his pasture. The people are the sheep that the shepherd is supposed to care for and take care of and lead them. So the shepherd's job would be to feed them, feed them the word of God, the true, unadulterated, sincere word of God, to help protect them from the ravenous wolves, to be on the lookout, to make sure, to try to draw back those that are kind of straying away, to heal them, to the shepherd would heal the sheep. Now, the pastors, local pastors, cannot heal anybody. God is the one who heals. But the local pastors should care for the, the sick among them and should pray for them, for the Lord to heal them. The shepherd would deliver the sheep, would help watch out for their safety and help warn them when there was danger ahead. The shepherd would comfort them. The shepherd would keep them near him, and maybe if there was a, a scared little sheep or whatever, the, the shepherd would comfort the sheep. The shepherd would provide for their needs, including rest. The shepherd became the door of the sheepfold when he would gather them together at night and put them in a safe place, and then he would lay down as the door to protect them and to keep them inside. So John has this fatherly heart here. Now let's look at it individually. He speaks in verse 12, little children talking about each and every individual one in the church. And he says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. All of the sins of each individual Christian have been forgiven them for his honor. He is faithful and just, John has already told us in this earlier passage in chapter 1, that Jesus forgives us of our sins. He goes on, he says, I write to you fathers. In other words, those of you perhaps that are either true fathers, 
fathers that have homes and, you know, families that they are raising, or perhaps he's talking to the spiritual fathers, those who are pastors, teachers, etc., in the church and functioning in a spiritually influential role among the body. And he says, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. So he's telling them, he's giving them commendation because they know God. They know the creator. They know him personally in a relationship. Verse 13, I write to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. Now here, the young men, he may be referencing the youth in the fellowship, those that are young and strong and, and sturdy, you know, as we get older, then things wear out and you're not as strong. You begin to lose strength. So he's talking to those who may be younger and still stronger, either physically or perhaps in their spiritual maturity, because they've been exercising their faith and learning how to overcome in life. You know, the, the Christian life, the becoming born again, believing in Jesus Christ and getting saved, that's only the beginning. God wants us to be blessed. He says, I've come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. He wants us to live victorious lives. He wants us to be blessed in this life. And so we see that as he's talking to these young men here and he's saying, you've, you've exercised, you've disciplined yourself, and you are overcoming. And then he goes on to the other, and he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. So in other words, now he said to the same thing to the fathers earlier, to the leaders. Now he's telling all the children, all the individual sheep to know Jesus. He's saying that you've known him, you've got a relationship with him, and that is commendable. And John is showing his heart and his heart of love for them. Then he goes into verse 14. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning. So he's talking again about their relationship with God. He speaks about how you've known him who is from the beginning. For all the way back to Genesis 1 and 2 and even to John chapter 1 perhaps where he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And we've already talked about that where he talked about it in the first chapter and in the first or second verse there. We looked at that in an earlier lesson. Then he says, I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked ones. So now he speaks directly to those that are young and strong in the Lord, those that may not be young spiritually speaking in terms of age, but are strong with the strength of a young person. They, that, I believe, is, is perhaps what he is really conveying here, that no matter how long you've walked with God, the ones that he's talking to are those who are strong in the faith. He says that you are strong. It can mean physically, too, of course, but I believe he, he is maybe perhaps even emphasizing their spiritual strength through the exercise of scripture and spiritual discipline. We all know that to gain physical strength, we need to do some form of exercise. Exercise helps us to develop muscle and strengthen bones. You know, we, we've 
may go to the gym. You may pay and have a gym membership and go, or you may have a workout room in your home and you do weights and you do whatever at home, but you are doing that to develop strength and have more power, more strength, and more energy as well so that you can be physically healthy and strong. The same thing is true spiritually. We exercise through the word and the spiritual disciplines that we develop. For instance, daily reading of the Bible, daily prayer and fellowship with the Lord, worship and praising him, etc. Those are just a few of the spiritual disciplines. The, the uh, honoring of his word in things like paying tithes, in things like being kind to one another and giving of alms to help people, uh, church attendance, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together, etc. These are some of the spiritual disciplines that will help make and keep you strong. He says then to these, he says three things to them. He says, he's commending them for three things. He says, you, you know him who is from the beginning. In other words, in a relationship, you are, you are strong. The word of God abides in you. The word of God lives in you. I want to turn over to uh, John chapter 8. And I did not mark it. I apologize for that, but I will find it here very quickly. In John chapter 8, I want to read verses 31 and 32, where Jesus is speaking here. It says that this, let me read verse 30 first. It says, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. John chapter 30, uh, verse 31 of chapter 8. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. So here Jesus gives them the pattern and notice that he's speaking to brand new believers in these verses. These people had just believed in Jesus Christ and, you know, received salvation. And he tells them in verse 31, if you abide or continue in my word, then you will, you are my disciples. You will be strong and you will grow as my disciple. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. So back in John, he is commending them because they have the word of God living in them. They are continuing in Jesus' words. They are letting them be a part of them inside and live within them. And then he commends them lastly because he says, and... Not only are you strong because you have a relationship with the Lord, you're developing spiritual discipline and growing and exercising in the Lord. Not only is the word of God abiding in you, and that is helping you to grow in the truth and understand the truth, and the truth will make you free. But he says you're also, and cumulative, you have overcome the devil. Now, I want to close on this point. I believe that there is some other verses of scripture that also come in here to help us understand John's point here about overcoming the devil. How do we overcome the devil? Well, one place that tells us this is in Ephesians chapter 6. 
And in Ephesians chapter 6, you will find out about the whole armor of God in verses 10 through 18. But I specifically want to draw your attention to the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, is the word of God. That word for word is rhema. The rhema word is always, always drawn from the logos. The word of God, the entirety of it, Genesis to Revelation, is the logos But the rhema word is a specific word that becomes a weapon that the Holy Spirit gives us against the enemy to overcome him. The Holy Spirit draws it out in a specific situation. The greatest example in scripture that I know of to point to you to is in Matthew chapter 4, for instance, where we look at the example of Jesus himself. He was in the wilderness for 40 days, and according to the gospel writers, had been tempted all 40 days. But there's only three of them that are recorded specifically for us. And of those three, in every instance, when Jesus um, resists the devil and fights against him, so to speak. It is always with the specific rhema word drawn from the Logos. He says each time it is written. He's referring to the written word of the Almighty God. And he says it is written. And then he quotes the specific verse that is applicable in that situation. We were told earlier at his baptism that the Holy Spirit descended upon him and remained on him, John the Apostle tells us in his gospel. So it's the Holy Spirit who is drawing that weapon out of the Logos and giving it to each individual person as a weapon against the devil so that that's how we overcome the wicked one. And this correlates with the fact that John mentions earlier that one of the things he can commend them about is that the word of God lives in them. If the word of God, if the logos is in us, if the entirety of the scripture is abiding within us, that gives the Holy Spirit something to draw from. He can't draw a weapon out of our hearts that's not there. We've got to put the word in there. And when we need it, The Holy Spirit will bring it up. He'll bring back to our remembrance what we've studied and learned, and he will give it to us when we need it as a weapon. It's talking about the rhema word of God. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it talks about how they overcame them, that the the saints overcame the devil by the blood of the lamb. First of all, we've got to have the blood of the lamb on us. Even Ephesians 6 requires that. He's talking, Paul is writing in Ephesians 6 to believers. And he's telling the believers, this is what you have. So you're already covered by the blood of the Lamb. The the authority and the victory we have is because of the blood of the Lamb, because of his blood. Our names are written in the Lamb's book of life, and that gives us the authority. Then he says they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our personal witness or testimony, the logos, that personal word, and those words, the rhema words that will come up and that will give us 
the evidence and the ability to overcome the devil and that we live for Jesus and not for ourselves. Hallelujah. John's commendations are just erupting from his heart of love for his people, for the children that he, he feels he's a father to in some spiritual sense. And he's writing because of that. And so that helps us set the whole tone for his book and helps us understand when he becomes a fatherly instructor in some of the passages that we will read. So John's heart is coming through here, and it is a definite heart of love. And that's what is motivating him to write this book. I pray that this has been a blessing to you today. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes of Truth Tidbits. God bless you today in Jesus' name.